Hello and welcome to Global Data Pod Research Wrap. I am your host, Nora Santivani, and joining me today is Bruce Kasman, Chief Economist of JP Morgan. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Nora. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. So today we want to dig a bit deeper into an important question that we, and no doubt central banks, have been asking themselves. And um, let me frame the question the way I think is uh, useful for me is that after a year of very aggressive rate hikes, synchronized rate hikes, are we finally approaching policy rate levels that are getting sufficiently high in order to bring inflation back to targets in a sustained manner? And helpfully, Bruce has published a very timely piece exploring this topic. Uh, he goes into a uh, discussion of widely held views on neutral policy rates, why those views might in fact be wrong. <laughs> um, I think maybe to start us off, just to frame things a little bit, central banks globally have been downshifting the pace of their rate hikes. And the belief there is that policy rates are already in restrictive territory. But how confident can we be in that, Bruce, right? How confident can we be that the kind of rate levels that markets are pricing and what we expect, which is roughly 525 for the Fed, 350 for the ECB, whether that will be enough to get the job done. Certainly what we're seeing in the growth and inflation data in my mind doesn't suggest we're really anywhere close to easing labor market tightness or bringing inflation down as much as central banks would like to. So let me just start by saying that to answer that question, you got to unpack a few things. Uh, and I want to make sure we kind of identify what those things are. First, there's a impulse that comes from a change in policy stances, and we've had huge changes. The Fed's on track here to do roughly 500 basis points of tightening, and that has a big impact on um, the economy, regardless of whether the level you end up on is tight or stimulative or whatever. Um, the second thing, and this is a point we've been trying to make very often, is that these issues around what neutral is and these issues about monetary transmission more generally are very cycle dependent. And you know, we've been arguing very clearly that right now, the tightening we're seeing from monetary policy is happening against the backdrop of supply shocks fading. That's, I think, a big part of what's driving the inflation numbers down. And it's happening in the backdrop of private sector conditions, which are healthy. And, you know, I think there's a legacy of people's views about what neutral are that come out of a period following the uh, global financial crisis in which we were in exactly the opposite situation for a number of reasons. Um, and therefore, I think there's some misperception right now about what is actually the environment in which monetary policy is, is operating. Right. So maybe we could try and put some numbers around that, Bruce, just, just very broadly speaking. So I guess if this 525 for the Fed funds rate is seen as restrictive, if we kind of back things out, that probably implies that neutral is seen somewhere around zero in terms in real terms, right? Is that the way we should be thinking about what central banks believe is the, the stance right now? Are they basing it off of a view that the neutral real rate is, is in fact close to zero? I think they're searching, but you can certainly see in the, in the conversation, even in our team, that if you look at our forecasts for where we think real neutral rates are, 
our US team is using a 0.25, and on average for the advanced economies, uh, we're not very far from zero. In fact, some countries were actually in negative territory. So I think there's clearly a, a searching pattern going on, and you'll notice that Chair Powell doesn't tend to talk about our star explicitly, but there is, I think, built into the thinking at the Fed and built into the thinking of most consensus economists, some idea that real neutral rates are in the advanced economies are not far from zero. So as you kind of attach that to a, a policy rate of 5% or so, that's obviously a very restrictive real stance. Now, just to put this in some context, if you went back and looked at Fed estimates in 2012 when they started publishing them for long-term uh, neutral rates, and I would, I would emphasize that the long-term equilibrium rate is not necessarily the the more shorter term uh, neutral rate that they're, they're using. But they, they were using estimates of nominal at four and a quarter, which meant that real was two and a quarter, uh, a 5% policy rate. In that environment, depending on what you use to deflate it, is still probably in the restricted territory, but it's much less restricted than if you're using a, a roughly zero number to uh, deflate it by. And it's that issue of what has changed in the decade mm -hmm. following the global financial crisis that push people's estimates down so far that I think we're trying to push back on. Uh, yeah, structure, so, is, structure is cyclical and the cycle is is different. Yeah, so some of those structural issues, um, I mean, I remember we've talked a lot about this would be, you know, demographics, weakening demographics, weakening productivity. Um, we had the EM savings glut, but many of those trends are still broadly in, in place no so yeah. that would kind of argue for if anything continued low neutral policy rates here so what makes you think that these factors may have shifted or what makes you think that they are now getting perhaps overpowered by these cyclical forces and what are those forces that we should be thinking about yeah i think that's a really good point that these underlying structural forces have shifted in ways you think might lower interest rates and are probably still acting in that way. Just put it in some reference point. We we lowered between 2000 to 2008 and 2010 to 2012. We lowered our estimates of potential growth globally by two or three tenths. We probably are going to lower it again. I mean, we'll see China's a big part of that story. But the point I would make is that two or three tenths is very small change in the context of how people's perceptions about what happens mutual rates were over the last decade. So if you think about what happened in the last decade is we came out of that financial crisis with a substantial damage done to balance sheets in the developed market economies. We had regulatory changes. We had big fiscal tightening that really lasted for almost five years in the US and Western Europe. And we had a sovereign crisis that, that turned Europe into recession. All of those things lowered the dynamics of what equilibrium rate was consistent with roughly stable utilization rates. On top of that, we had an EM credit boom, which continued into the early phases of the last cycle, which when the Fed started talking about tapering and a few other things took place, that started to unwind. So we had this set of things that cyclically were uh, holding back demand, was limiting the impact of where uh, accommodated monetary policy uh, took us. And what's interesting is that at that time, constrained by the zero bounds, central bankers basically started to getting into the view, well, we can keep policy rates close to zero because that is really accommodated based on what their view of neutral was at that time. And they thought they can reflate 
off of the back of loaf for long. And in reality, that didn't work for some of these reasons. And that what happened is they simply revised down their estimates of neutral. The idea is the world has changed a lot mm -hmm. since the pandemic. And that, that mistake of low for long being able to do the work uh, might be repeated by a perception that high for long can do the work. As again, the understanding of what's happening cyclically is going to be slow in, in common. Okay. So I guess the consequence of that is, you know, if in fact neutral rates are well above zero, then the direct consequence of that would be that the Fed might need to hike a lot more than is currently priced in, right? So we could be going into a situation here where um, the Fed and other DM central banks have a lot further to go, right? Do you think we are actually shifting into that kind of scenario for the, for the global economy where you know, central banks will need to keep going? And what are the kind of, I suppose, markers that we should be uh, looking for? Will this become clear over the next three to six months, I guess, is, a, is an important question. Or so, are we going to have to wait a lot longer to answer this question? It does depend a lot on something we raised up front, which is how powerful is the impact of changing monetary policy stances. Regardless of whatever you think about where neutral is, even if I thought neutral policy stance was a four, four and a half percent nominal yield, which is certainly quite reasonable, the fact that we've moved policy rates up 500 basis points at the Fed and four, almost 400 basis points in the DM over a year, I don't know how much EM has moved up, you can tell me, we're closer to that, but it's, it's still significant. You know, that matters a lot. That's not about where neutral is, it's just about you change from a very accommodative stance to a, a far less one and possibly restrictive stance in a short period of time. So this is one of the reasons why the incoming news is so interesting is because it's giving us a sense, and we're still not by any means done testing this, that the global economy is proving resilient in the face of that shock, that change in financial conditions. And I think where the issue around uh, neutral is going to become more important is over the course of the next three or six months, if we're not in recession, if the, if the big changes in monetary policy haven't done the damage, then the impact of the change is going to start to moderate here. And then the issue around where do you set policy in a high for long world is going to at least gradually be inching higher. And I think there's some of that already entering the conversation. I don't want to say we're out of the woods in terms of the impulse. Monetary policy does work with long and variable lags. We could be seeing more damage. But the point I would make is conditional on the change not killing us. The perceptions of the level are going to go up and it's going to reinforce the sense on the part of the Fed that if it wants to find a high for long resting point, that that's going to be higher than 5% and mm. possibly a, a decent ways above 5%, which of course is the issue around where market pricing might be off right now. Am I right in saying, Bruce, that we might really not know which of those scenarios we are actually in, right? So this, I think you use this you boiling... You know, Nora, the... don't you? Don't you know? <laughs> oh, well, we've been using this boiling <laughs> the frog analogy, which I've been thinking a lot about, right? So all of this means is that we are getting to levels that will eventually bite, but we don't really know where that level is, right? And yeah. we might not know for another two years, right? <laughs> so, Well, I, I think one um, of the points we've been trying to make to people is that once you accept that there's an unsustainable path that we're on, that we're not going to get inflation down into comfort zones without having material easing in labor markets, that it's not easy, it's not clear what the timing of the adjustment is going to be and what the rate level 
is going to be. And we've been trying to, to emphasize that, but with a point of view that has also said the bias is towards the recession coming later and the rate path requiring higher rates. So yeah, I, I, I think it's it's not at any point here are we all that confident or cocky as to what yeah. the I think I think we've been winning one battle here, which is that we're not sliding into recession in the early part of the year. I think the other battle is that uh, we're not going to get inflation coming down by itself. And then the third battle, which is really the question you're asking, which is how high will rates have to go um, and when will we get turned over? I don't think it's going to take you know more than 18 to 24 months, my own feeling is. But if is, is it going to be six months from now or 18 months from now? I'm not sitting with a high degree of conviction uh, on that. It's going to be an interesting story to watch this play out, especially given the January data having been so strong, but possibly being boosted by a whole bunch of factors around seasonality, weather, uh, and other things. Yeah, I suppose one last point I wanted to hit on is this idea of the inflation process and the inflation process changing, central bank credibility perhaps being eroded and that affecting estimates of neutral and potentially implying that rates will need to rise more uh, than we're currently expecting. In particular for EM, that's the way I'm thinking about it right now. I mean, I, we can see that EM central banks have in fact hiked more than DM central banks at this point. They've been hiking for much longer as well for a two-year period. They've hiked rates cumulatively, what is it, 500 basis points here. So that's substantial. Real rates as well are above our estimates of neutral by about 130 basis points. We don't want to pay too much attention to that, do we? Well, yeah, exactly. What I'm thinking now is after hearing hearing everything you've said about DM, I think a lot of those points are valid for EM as well. And, And the reasons we might be thinking neutral real rates are higher in DM than zero makes me think that neutral in EM is also higher than the one and a half percent average we were previously uh, estimating here about a year ago. And, but let me let me make a you point know, that uh, you've been you've made often, and I just want to make sure it's like on the table. And if you want to um, expand on it, is that there's really two EMs, at least two AMs here, right? There's there are central banks in EM which are facing important credibility tests, either because of their central banks themselves or because of the broader political environment. And then there's a bunch of central banks. And I would argue the Fed is is part of this. The Fed has not really lost credibility. I don't think we've seen any de-anchoring of longer-term inflation expectations. Part of the problem, though, and it's been the point we've been trying to make here, is you can lose control of the inflation process without losing the anchoring of the medium-term inflation story. If the supply shocks that have hit us interact with a shift in short-term psychology and still tight labor markets, you know, you could have an inflation process, which is going to be hard to control, even if central banks are viewed over a five or seven year period as getting this under control. And I think in EM, there's a distinction between those folks that are genuinely facing the credibility test and those that are basically following the same kind of issues that the US and I think the Europeans are, which is, okay, we're credible, but we're not necessarily achieving our goals. What do we need to do here? Where is neutral? What is the right degree of restrictiveness. And again, the bias here, I think, from our point is to say, even in those cases, you have to probably go higher. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think for the kind of lower yielding EM countries, and I would put in that bracket, most of the EM Asian countries, low yielders, uh, Korea might be a good example. 
we're probably in a situation where neutral real rates are a little bit higher than they were, say, a year or two ago. I mean, not substantially, maybe, you know, 0.5 or something higher. But then there's a group of countries where I think this erosion of credibility is a serious problem. Uh, we see it in the way markets are pricing break-even inflation. I mean, those are have risen to very high levels in a couple of countries. And I think in those countries, the rise in inflation risk premia, the rise in inflation volatility, the de-anchoring of inflation expectations are all pointing to perhaps significantly higher estimates of neutral real rates. And as a result, the need for even further policy tightening than what they've already delivered. I mean, uh, Colombia comes to mind, right? Like there, I think we were thinking the neutral rate is something like one and a half percent. Now it's more like three Brazil, we were thinking three, three and a half. Now it's more like four and a half, you know? So there's a couple of countries here where we might be in a new kind of regime, if you like, in terms of uh, neutral rate estimates going substantially higher. But yeah, I, I think I think EM broadly will follow the DM trend. We shouldn't forget, though, that there is an element of significant domestic policy tightening that has been very aggressive in EM and is already having some impact in a select small group of countries where you know underlying inflation has started to come down, labor markets have started to ease. This isn't a very large group of countries at this point, but I think there is a dynamic that is somewhat independent of what the Fed is doing. Of course, the repricing of Fed rates higher will have knock-on effects for a number of EM countries. And well, let me you know, if I could, Nara, just sort of we and we may want to end on this issue embedded in our storyline and as as you mentioned earlier, we've been talking about the boiling of the frog, is central banks that may have to go materially higher, but they they go there relatively gradually. And it has been a, a story on our mind where the Fed's moving at 25 basis point increments. And some of that potentially higher levels of rates is about them having to reassess where they think neutral is. But there's a risk here, given how strong the January data is, that if it's followed up by, and, and by that, by that, I don't only mean the growth data, but it's also mm. the inflation news. And you can see overall surprise we've had in our global uh, CPI reports for January, although the U.S. was probably one of the bigger ones. The idea that if we come in and we get February data that reinforces it, that we might actually be facing a Fed that's mm. going to have to consider moving more aggressively, reversing the downshift to 25, if that were happening, that really does send shockwaves through risky assets more generally, but EM more specifically. How worried are you about that scenario from, a, from an EM point of view? Well, I would say, yeah, that, that is potentially a, a disruptive scenario. I think, you know, as long as the Fed just keeps adding a few more 25s and is still not trying to kill the economy, then that's not too problematic for EM. And as long as the EM disinflation narrative that we have remains in place. But I think if we now shift to a situation where the Fed is going quite aggressively um, in 50 basis point clips, then that could kind of rewrite this risk on environment for, for EM, in particular, if it is also associated with a strengthening of the dollar, which we know EM central banks are typically quite sensitive to because of financial stability concerns. So yeah, in, in that kind of situation, I think we would need to rewrite the scenario which we have in our baseline, which is one in which EM central banks around the middle of the year are able to shift into easing mode 
and that initial group of EMs cutting rates begins to broaden in the second half. I think if we get much more aggressive DM rate hikes and on top of that, a stronger dollar and the disinflation doesn't play out as we expect, then yes, we're going to have to kind of rethink the whole narrative. But I think the base case for the time being, we, we are reasonably confident, provided the Fed and other DM central banks go on a pause around the middle of the year, that we can get this shift taking place in a dovish direction at some point, you know, around the middle of the year or the second half. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's a good place to end it, Bruce, unless you'd like to add anything else. No, that's good. No. All right. Perfect. So thank you, Bruce, for, for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Global Data Pod Research Wrap. And we hope to continue the conversation on the next episode.